everyone. We're the Maker Group. Welcome to our podcast, Fun Builds. It's a fun podcast with fun people talking about fun things that connect us. The COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way that we live our lives. In many cases, there are more people spending time in public places. And research from Copenhagen shows now, more than before COVID-19, the use of public spaces has remained constant while movements from A to B have decreased significantly. Researchers have also found that local places that already offer a public activity, such as a playground, are even more popular than before COVID. My guest today is Marcus Ehring, product designer and mechanical engineer from Lübeck, Germany, a man who's been described as a careful observer of the surrounding world. Today we'll talk to him about his observations and how they impact his product designs, and perhaps we can get him to share his thoughts on what is in the future for play. Marcus, guten Tag. Hello. <laughs> nice to see you and to hear you. Yeah, you as well. Or should I say guten Abend? Because it probably is... Uh, oh, yeah. Time? It's uh, nine o'clock in the evening. So it's... Uh, oh. Day is done okay. already. <laughs> um, you've already got a beer as well. I imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously, I, I made another coffee. My last oh, coffee okay. of the day, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know I couldn't drink coffee that late, but you're obviously used to it. But actually, I wanted to just quickly give the audience a little bit of a picture of Germany and where you live. I'm familiar with Germany because I lived there for three years when I was younger, and I loved every minute of it. But paint a picture of Lübeck. Oh, Lübeck is a, uh, it's a medium-sized town with um, uh, 360,000 uh, people living here, and um, it's in between Hamburg and Berlin. So um, it's very good, connected. Uh, and it's next to the Baltic Sea, which is a kind of paradise to live, especially in the summertime, like now. It's a nice place here, and I really enjoy to be here uh, when I'm not traveling. It's a typical, um, very old, romantic town where every house looks different. Um, uh, the, the house which I'm living in is uh, about 500 years old. Uh, it's a kind of uh, um, fabric uh, space, and, um, and 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 here are houses which are a thousand years old. So that's this very old stuff. Well, listen. Um, I think before we get into your innovative designs and, and what have you, can you tell us a bit about your kind of path to becoming an industrial designer? Oh, that's a, a, a special part of a special type of. Uh, industrial design. Um, my whole family is into design. My, my, my father uh, uh, worked his whole life as an industrial designer and uh, was specialized in technical light systems. Um, his wife, my stepmother, was a professor for textile design uh, and, and uh, textile technologies. And uh, the same as my um, eldest daughter. Uh, my sister and uh, husband, so my brother-in-law, uh, he was a, a professor for exhibition design in Potsdam, in, uh, next to Berlin. So, and my mother studied music. So, uh, it's a kind of creative family, of course. And uh, but when I studied, I decided to go to uh, another path. Um, my, uh, I was very interested in um, bionic, so the way the nature works, and. Um, how is it possible that a fly can fly <laughs> uh, with these small wings? Or uh, yeah, these kind of things uh, interested me a lot, and um, so I st I studied that. And in addition to that, 
Um, I um, studied in another uh, in another place, all about uh, patents and laws uh, and uh, how to sell a license and uh, how to create a new kind of innovative um, atmosphere in a company and how to lead people to um, innovative structures and um, to rethink what they have done so far. Um, yeah, and it ends up um, um, at public design. That's, that's what I'm doing since ah, 36, 37 years now. And, um, and public design is very special. It's all about um, the open spaces where, where we uh, all meet as a society. So it's, it's not like a private room uh, where I can build, buy some furnitures along my taste. It's um, where people meet and needs to be integrated. Um, the, the space needs to be a meeting point where it makes fun to meet each other, where we integrate people into our society instead of separating them uh, or separating the needs which we have in public spaces. Do you find design goes through those kind of cycles where we like to constrict and, and formulate sort of boundaries for human beings and they get used to that. And then we go through another phase where we just open everything up and the boundaries are all gone and it causes a lot of disruption. What's your thoughts on those cycles? Do they happen every 10 years? Yeah, years no, it's, it's really like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like our society and our mentality in our society. Years ago when I started, um, I recognized that public spaces are divided into these different needs. And the people, it's hard for them to take an open space where everything is possible. So they built onto the space uh, a lot of smaller spots to have a space for old people, a space for, for teens and rough people, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. and adults and, and kids, people who are driving a car and driving a bike. So, um, but there at the same time, I think it's uh, 25 years ago, uh, in the Netherlands, for example, they, they were very open-minded in testing things out with their, with their society. And in one town, they erased all traffic signs, for example. Everything. I remember that. I remember that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and it works fantastic. because It does. It, it works well, <laughs> because the people had to take care about each other. That's yeah. completely different if I'm... Yeah. Let's say I drive my car and coming from the right side and I have the right to drive now, so I don't take care about any people else. You know what I mean? And that, that doesn't exactly. work for a long time. And, and uh, they developed a lot of new... Um, um, yeah, they, they create a kind of new mentality how, how we should uh, meet each other in, in public spaces. And, and that's the point I was trying to make is that when you take the boundaries away, because as human beings, we, we do like boundaries. We're, we're confined in boundaries all the way through our life, right from when we grow up and mum and dad tell us what to do and we're restricted. Then we go to school and we're restricted. And, yeah. You know, you're not just within a, you know, a physical boundary of a school classroom, but you have restricted by the teacher. So when we get out in the free world, it can be quite a shock for us and it can be, it can be liberating, but also it can be a shock to know what to do. So through design, how do we do that? I mean, how do we kind of encourage people to go and explore and open their horizons? And, yeah, you know, it's, in my opinion, it's all about empathy. 
when when we um, create rules, uh, it's not an alibi that we need not to create, uh, to live with empathy. That's all the time when we meet in public spaces, and when we, when we start watching people who meet there. I, I, I will give you a short example from the aspect of design. Okay, we all know bus stop. It's everywhere in the world. It's the same thing. You have three walls and a roof, so you cut off out of the public space a small room which is, in that case, a kind of private. We all recognize that when someone is sitting there, no one wants to go inside of that in addition. We don't want that. It's like uh, meeting someone on a toilet. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't want yeah. that. And uh, it's his private. He has, um, he has taken that room. And yeah. uh, so you often see people stay, say, uh, staying in the rain while one person is sitting in the, under this roof. And on the other hand, This is a typical thing of industrial design. We, we, we design something which is orientated to the street, but seriously, not to the weather. So it could be that the wind most of the time comes from the front. So you have a shower inside a room. That's kind of crazy. And, uh, but um, public design um, looks to things like that, and, and, and we discuss how can we solve that. And, and then nature, again, is a good example for that. If you think about a tree where you have a central post and a, a roof all around, without, which is big enough so that you stay dry, um, a lot of people can go uh, under that. And it is not uh, owned by one person who's, who stood there at the beginning. So we all can imagine that. And this is a typical thing for a good solution in public design. If we look to the nature and um, look um, how things are solved over there, um, we can learn a lot about that. Uh, uh, we can learn a lot from there. So from that point of view, I, I know you've mentioned and, and quoted in the past, give fantasy a free reign is one of the things you've said. And I think that very much fits into what you're just describing there. Mm. You know, it's, it's, you, you have to listen to your customer, but how do you give fantasy a free reign? What's your, your, the process that's going through your mind? Um, if, I, uh, if I take a piece of wood from the ground in the, uh, in the forest, I can use it as a gun or as a stick. I can, uh, I can imagine everything with that thing um, because it's not um, articulated. It's not precised as a, um, as a gun. It can be anything. It can be my violin, my guitar. You, you, you know what I mean? But as yeah, soon totally. as, I, as I'm going away from being abstract um, and, and push all my, let's say, design power into it, um, everything what, I, uh, what I'm, um, I'm losing more than I'm winning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so that's very typical for kids. Um, if I build a, a kind of Mickey Mouse um, uh, seesaw, I will never see senior people sitting on there. And, uh, and maybe a lot of people don't like me. Uh, maybe some people don't like Mickey Mouse and they, they're looking for an elephant. So you, you know what I mean? Uh, as more as I design into something, as, um, as less uh, space for imagination I'm leaving to the kids. 
And that's a that's a good point, isn't it? Because we've come used to this formalized structure in a playground, you know. And typically, uh, I've seen a difference between Europe and and North America. Yeah, uh, we call it play pressure. There are so many kids playing very condensed um, that you had to look for good material to use. Um, uh, the way how kids play with, with each other, that you create social skills with, with right. that and train that. That's a, a very important aspect, that you integrate people with all kinds of abilities or disabilities and, um, uh, and give them a chance to, to um, just enjoy this time being together. Right, and that's a really important point, isn't it? Because that's what's kind of missing a lot from society these days is just being. Yes. Is that correct? In the time, in the space that you're in now. Yeah. In, in, in German, we say we, uh, kids need Langeweile, and that mean, means boredom. Boredom. Oh, um, got it, you. It's, yeah. it's like listening to yourself. Yeah, and finding something inside of you after a while. If if you are always um, kind of loud, stimulated, stimulated, entertained the whole day, um, you're losing creativity. And if if we um, create spaces where uh, boredom can grow, (laughs) it sounds crazy. I, I, I know, I know, but that's. Strongly needed for kids. They are entertained the whole day by by school, by parents, by everyone. So what we're saying is that we should, number one, tell our kids that they don't have their cell phones for the day. (laughs) And number two, give them sticks to play with, some clay, some bricks, you know, or just give them nothing and see what happens. Yeah, they they should have their cell phones, of course. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's another, uh, we are in another generation today. And, of course, kids have cell phones. But um, giving them spaces where they recognize, oh, <laughs> this one is really alive. He's staying in front of me. And uh, he's not a chat partner in my phone. Uh, and, um, of course, they have learned that already. And for them, it's kind of nature. And that's fantastic, in my opinion. So but this kind of um, listening is extreme important. And, and that's the key, isn't it? It's, it's not just in play, but it's in all aspects of life. Yeah. Listening is so important. You touched on something that was quite interesting. I want to just go back, and you said about making, you know, play parks or environments that you design um, encompassing for all age ranges and also all abilities as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that you talk from a very personal side on the ability side because. I would love to relate to the listeners what really affected you many, many years. I think your daughter's 15 or 16 or a bit older. Is that correct? My second eldest daughter, she had an accident when she was uh, um, a baby in the hospital. So her brain got damaged, not massively, but uh, in a way that she couldn't move her legs. Um, fine-tuned, let's say. She was sitting for a while in a wheelchair or I carried her around until I tra- uh, and trained her over years to um, uh, move her legs in a way that she can walk. Today, she need, she's like uh, every other girl and uh, can walk around. I'm very happy with that. But it takes us years to get there. And at that time, especially the time when she was, when I was with her on the playground, I often recognized, okay, there's, <laughs> there, there are not so many 
tools that she can play with um, without feeling handicapped uh, or disabled. And, and why do we not create um, products in a way that everyone can, can play with that? And maybe they have not that big impact, but they are, as part of the society, they are not um, recognized right away as a handicapped people or a handicapped person. And um, so I, I, decided, uh, I designed a swing uh, with two seats and a rotational bar on top. So that, that means when my daughter was sitting on the one swing seat and I was sitting or another kid was sitting on the, on the second swing seat and, and, um, and she could only grip at the change and sit there um, because she could, couldn't move her legs. But the other one gave her an impact by swinging. And so after a couple of seconds, she starts swinging with them in a, in a kind of different, little bit slower rhythm. And vice versa, the way he, she swings gives an impact back to the, to the one who's sitting next to her. So that means creating things where we recognize that we are in a relation makes life way nicer. So, and that's the important thing. If we, if we separate everything and every person, uh, this relation cannot grow. But if you create things where communication is a very important part of the game, where social aspects and social skill sets can be trained, then, uh, and that's in my opinion, a very important reason why we need playgrounds in our society and, and spaces where we, um, we can learn that. And, and it, you, you brought it very nicely back to empathy again, because that's really what the bottom line is, isn't it? Yeah, that's all, all the time. It's the same thing, yeah. It's all the, uh, all the time being um, um, and looking uh, uh, to the world with a very open heart and um, respecting people from other nations and uh, other religious groups um, and with a different uh, cultural background. We, if you, as you have heard, for example, a couple of years ago, we took uh, two million immigrants here to, to, uh, to Germany, uh, people who came from a completely different culture. And uh, they do not want to be here <laughs> in a way. They, they just lost their home. You, you know what I mean? So, it, of course, they enjoy the fact that they are, at the moment they are here not falling bombs into our heads. So that, that, that's very comfortable for a family. And um, they, they lost their home, they lost everything. So, and they found a new kind of home over here. But of course, they come with another mentality. A lot of them uh, uh, have a Muslimic uh, background. Um, we are used to that in Germany by a lot of Turkish people who lived here since uh, years, since a long time. But uh, we, we have, um, how can we integrate them? For example, what do you believe that a person, in, in, when he's in his family, a burqa or is the right way uh, to dress uh, uh, that his wife is wearing, stuff like that? <laughs> How do you think a person like that feels um, at the Baltic Sea when the people are uh, jumping into the water either with clothes or a bikini or without? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's yeah, a I shock do. for these people. And... Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and, but if we want to give them, for example, when we speak about uh, water attractions and, and, yeah. and, and uh, public pools, um, they, they don't feel comfortable 
in a public pool, but on an aquatic play pad where they can wear their clothes in a way. Let's say summer clothes. Yeah. Um, uh, even the wives can play there with their kids uh, with, without getting kind of naked. You, you know what I mean? They, they can wear whatever they want and uh, enjoy the water, the freshness of the, of the, of the space, playing with their kids who, who just wear swimsuits. And, and, and that is respectful if we, do, uh, if we give them spaces where we all can meet together in different cultures. That doesn't mean, so, mean that we had to lose our culture. Well, that and, and what? That's not what I'm saying. It's just that yeah. we had to respect that, meanwhile, five or six or seven million people living here with another culture, and that we should integrate them respectfully. So, so what is the, the key difference there, do you see? I mean, is it taking away that formalized structure of the swimming pool and make it a much more flexible and metamorphic space, I suppose, in, in kind of a spray park? Because there's creativity can come in there. Can't yeah, there's lots yeah, of flexibility. Imagine if you, are, if you are not comfortable uh, taking off your clothes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so a, a public pool... Uh, you don't like that space very much and you will never go with your family over there. So that means, on the other hand, that your kids will not learn swimming. Uh, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, and that they are afraid about water. They are uh, afraid of water. So um, if we now create spaces like uh, an aquatic play pad where they get in contact with a fascinating element of water, and lose their fear. The kids will go in school in a swimming, in, in, in a pool and learn swimming. So, so th that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's this kind of step-by-step uh, -step which we, uh, uh, how we can lead um, this part of our society uh, to be integrated. So, so it really is a vehicle. That's the thing. Like yeah. So that step, that, it's that vehicle that takes them on that journey. I, I wanted to just pick up on one thing, and it, you did mention it early on. You, you kind of name dropped, I think, Japan and Tokyo. And, yeah. And I know you've, you've worked in Paris and New York and all around the world. Do you think your kind of global perspective makes you a better designer? Do, do you think that's, that's true? Oh, Definitely. So, so tell me a little bit about, okay, you've, you've got this experience, this world-world sort of experience, and how do you bring these cultures together in a successful way? We've already talked about spray parks, but say we're looking at other design aspects, things that you've been involved with over the years. What have been some of your most successful, successful designs that you've brought people together? It's changed a culture. It's changed the way people play and interact. What would you have in your kind of toolbox that you've designed over the years? <laughs> So one of my, my um, first designs, which I did, was um, these uh, glowing stars, uh, which you can uh, stick on the wall and yours, the ceiling in your yeah. um, home. And it was done because um, my kids were afraid in the dark. And, uh, and me as well, seriously, when I was young. And I met a person in Berlin who developed something seriously for the military. <laughs> this, this material was built for military. And it, it, it was um, very safe, this material. You could even eat that. It was uh, completely untoxic. 
and, mm -hmm. uh, and and but he said he he always thought that that would be something that that was something a material for the military and i i said oh yeah yeah but uh, maybe uh um I, i find some other possibilities to uh, for this kind of material and as i was always in in kind of playgrounds and kids and these kind of social aspects um uh, of course i i started with the uh with the moon and the stars, which today is sticking in, yeah, billions of uh, rooms all over the world. So, um, yeah, that, that that is something which is a universal design, of course. And, and as a kid, we all uh, we all, all kids have uh, fear in the dark, so so it helps everywhere. And and I can actually attest to the fact that both my girls had the stars in the ceiling. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was great. But that that's a great kind of um, global product, though, isn't it? I mean, that's phenomenal. You, you probably never imagined that that would go global like it did because you were designing it for a local situation. It was for oh, personal. yeah. I told you last time. Yeah. yeah. We were yeah. students at that time. And we were a group of three, three people. And uh, as a student... In, you, you have a lot of time and uh, uh, a lot of fantasy and a lot of fun to do and to make experience and experiments and all that. And yeah. um, and we were sitting together um, and um, at that time I already had a couple of patents. They, they all know me because of that, because I started this kind of um, innovation or in, uh, inventor career when I was uh, 15. Uh, and uh, made, built up my first patent. And uh, so when I was a student, it was uh, eight years later, we were sitting together and they asked me, can, can we not develop something? And uh, I came up with this idea and said, okay, you are, an, and one of my friends were a uh, mechanical engineer and the other an electronic engineer. And uh, so we decided, you, you, you make a stamp machine. <laughs> and uh, so we produced this stuff for ourselves. And uh, and then send it out. Uh, and at that time, um, yeah, we received every day a ton of uh, envelopes by post with money inside, and that was crazy. And an envelope sent to send them back to the people. <laughs> and, uh, they ordered around half a year long, and after that, wow. we were copied worldwide, of course. So I just wanted to kind of work on one of the things that we talked about earlier on. You know, as you mentioned earlier, the world is seeing more people participate in play and exercise outside now. Um, how do you see things changing from the perspective of a product designer like yourself now? That, that there's been a change in the world. There's been a change in perspective. How is that going to affect you and your designs? Do you think it will influence you? Yeah. Um, in a way that we recognize that public spaces are important. That, And, and that we really need them, uh, and that we kind of waste them for um, a lot of unneeded things. Um, so I think that is something which we recognize painfully at the moment, that we need these uh, spaces and that a lot of these spaces are, are not well designed so far or not designed in a way that a lot of people can meet there this is something which will change uh, the future and i think that the time of uh, casting everything in concrete is over <laughs> we yeah we we, uh, we let some trees still grow meanwhile or or grow for the future and um, i think that that is changing as well 
So when we think about a space in a, in a public, uh, in, in a town, um, we integrate green again. In the past, it was uh, a little bit too gray. One of the things I, we did mention when we spoke very briefly before was we talked about technology because technology is really at the forefront of a lot of things mm-hmm. that we experience now as human beings. Um, and it does play a key role in our lives. How do you see technology kind of maybe integrating itself into play spaces and not maybe in the obvious ways that we think? Yeah. What's your perspective on that? Sometimes it can be weird. I know uh, a couple of years ago when... Um, when, when a, a phone has not a wire anymore <laughs> and becomes a cell phone, <laughs> uh, people all over the world think about, oh, we need to have these kind of things on every bench, on every playground. And kids can learn how to deal, to dial and to, to play with this thing. Um, we never uh, imagined that um, a technical instrument at that time, like this complex thing, uh, can be so intuitive that every child can use it. So meanwhile, we are at that point by um, creating respectful interfaces. And that, that was something which uh, uh, where Steve Jobs was uh, famous for. He was, uh, totally. uh, yeah, that, that was his, uh, his horse, <laughs> let's say. And that was his success. So he, he, he um, creates this kind of... Um, or uses a kind of design language, which is so intuitive that everyone understands that right away. So we don't need to place a big cell phone on the playground to teach our kids how to use it. So, but at that time, a lot of companies come up with this kind of tool, which was completely bizarre. Today, we, it was a big laugh when we would see something like that on the playground. Yeah. Yeah, but you can understand it. You know, that was like an evolution. Of yeah, it's an evolution. That's what it is all the time. When, when I, for example, uh, uh, starts on, in the playground industry and designing playgrounds, they all look like a kind of military camp. You have oh, these yeah. Wild West romantic things. And in front <laughs> of this, these Indian camps. And it was a military scenario. That's what it was. So it has nothing to do with play. And what do you imagine if you build on a theater or on a stage this kind of um, environment? You, you don't expect that uh, people are playing there. They, it's, a, it's a scenario of a war. And of course, it was the mentality after the war yeah. where, where these things were designed. And, and so I was driven for a long time to get rid of all these kind of um, old-fashioned romantic designs, yeah, and and that comes from experience of the people that's been designing the playground. You know, it's their experiences, or it's been lent, you know, let down to them through their parents or their yeah. colleagues. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose one of the things that I think is really important, and I mean, from my limited experience of playground design, is there's one or two items that are still the favourites in playground design. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Do we do agree? And what would you say they were from your perspective? Oh, um, of course you have, um, there are some designs, which is a swing. That, that's a basic thing, which, which needs to be on every playground. And it is yeah. there since ever. And yeah. um, because it gives you this, this, uh, um, this feeling of flying, this uh, dialogue between fear and trust, and that's a very important thing to grow. 
And um, so this is one point, that's the swing. And, um, and then you have this uh, sandbox, <laughs> which is basically nothing. Uh, yeah. It's only what you do uh, uh, inside of it. And this is, this is what I uh, mean with boredom. You need spaces like that where you can, um, by doing, create something which, is, uh, which you have not recognized before, which, uh, which starts growing by doing uh, and interacting with other kids. I think these both things are very important. And there are a couple of other things, of course, uh, which I like uh, on, any, uh, on every playground, like uh, a merry-go-round, for example, where you get sick or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but that's the point, isn't it? It's that thrill. I mean, for me, the favorite was always the slide. Yeah, you or know, a slide. Yeah, highest, very good example. The highest, yeah. yeah, the highest slide. But on know, the other hand, David, <laughs> when you look into, uh, onto a slide, the common slide... It's a, it's a stair, and you have a, yeah. um, a kind of tower or, uh, where, where you climb on, and then you can slide down through a channel. But um, behind this kind of construction, there's an old thinking. It's not that we play together, that we play in discipline one after another and never get creative and try to climb up the slide. It is dangerous for everyone, the one who came from the top, and for you, as the one who's tried to climb up and try to find your boundaries. So um, this is an, from the, the, this construction is in a way old-fashioned. Um, but of course, um, you can create slides in a way um, that they are more modern and that they are slight um, in a three-dimensional way, uh, where everyone is sliding right from the beginning. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've got, we've got time for one more question. I'm okay. glad to ask you this, okay? And, and I'm very biased here being from Europe, of course, but um, European design is often you know, seen as forward thinking. Are there any developments or trends in Europe that you see currently that are, we're not seeing in any other part of the world? I see fantastic designers and architects all over the world. There you are. <laughs> really. And it's, it, of course, uh, we have a... Um, uh, a, a more multicultural um, 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 thinking, because Europe is a, um, is a multicultural thing, and th th that's in a way true. But uh, I, I work together with people from the US, with architects who are fantastic teams, and the same as in Japan or in Australia, and um, even in India, and um, so. Um, and uh, I always learned from them, and it was always, or most of the time, real pleasure to work with them and an honor for me to be part of that team for this project. If you were to do it in a nutshell, you know, one, like a sentence. You need to find people who work with, um, who, who love what they are doing and to cast the, the, the things that they do out of love. That, that, I think that's the secret. If, if there's um, this kind of enthusiasm, this kind of humor, which is on this, which you meet all the time on this way, whenever you, you, you run into a dead end road because that was the thing which you want, but it doesn't work, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's things which we all know every day. And in a creative process, you have that every day. And if you learn as a group to, to laugh about that, 
and to learn from them. That, that makes us grow. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by The Maker Group, including Parkworks, Waterplay, and We Kid Manufacturing. Contact us at info at makergroup.com. That's info at M-A-K-R group.com. We'll connect again soon.